A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 391. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Jekyll and Hyde. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. So this is a 1990 television movie adaptation of the Robert Louis Stevenson book, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was a co-production between LWT, that was part of the ITV network, and ABC television in the US. So American-British co-production. It ran about 96 minutes with Michael Caine in the title role, or title roles. Indeed, and it's we reckon this is the fourth time we have looked at a television production inspired by Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. And I'm going to wager, possibly not the last time either, Brian, there may be more to come. Well, maybe, but certainly there it has been adapted and done in many different ways over the years. And I think this is an interesting one to look at, too. So we begin, as I suspect we always begin, with Dr. Henry Jekyll, a well-respected doctor who, when we meet him, is mourning the sad death of his wife. He is developing or becoming very close to his sister-in-law, his wife's sister, although, interestingly, their father, the the two sisters' father, is quite opposed to their uh, relationship, and that will provide some tension as we go along. Absolutely. And meanwhile, he is experimenting with a drug that can explore the dual nature of the human personality. And he's hoping that this could cure mental illness and even rid society of the concept of evil. And of course, he is testing it on himself, and this leads to dangerous and disturbing results, as we might expect from a Jekyll and Hyde production. Indeed it does, yes. And it is, um, as you say, we can expect that part of it. Perhaps what I didn't quite expect so much was the sort of depiction that this might produce a form of addiction in the Doctor as well. And I thought that was quite an interesting aspect, which we might come back to. But yes, it is dangerous times for Dr. Henry Jekyll to be experimenting with his own drug and with interesting and, in some cases, disastrous consequences. And we should note that this is set in Victorian times, so it does have a nice traditional look to it in Victorian London. So let's get to our characters. Let's start with Dr. Henry Jekyll, as we've said, played by no less than Michael Caine, as you've said, possibly one of the most famous film stars to yet crop up on a British Invaders TV show. Here he is playing this charming, mostly extremely well-respected doctor. I think as it's traditional, we see him in the early part of the, the film lecturing and giving people his ideas about evil and mental illness and how, the, you know, there's the possibility of improving society. 
also, you know, doing his own research into these changing personalities, as we've said, uh, something that leads him to experiment in a dangerous fashion. Yes, absolutely. And of course, we will see Michael Caine as Mr. Edward Hyde as well. Sarah Crawford, played by Cheryl Ladd, is Henry Jekyll's sister-in-law and his closest confidant. And she is unhappily married to a husband who is abroad and more or less out of the out of the immediate picture. And as we've mentioned, we've also got her father, Dr. Charles Lanyon, played by noted film actor and television actor Joss Ackland, who popped up recently in Hogfather. But here he is playing Sarah's father. And he is somewhat opposed to Dr. Jekyll forming any form of relationship with his daughter, but also he's a senior doctor and he has his own strong views about Jekyll's experiments and theories. And I think we often get that sort of conflict with senior medical figures in depictions of Jekyll and Hyde, Brian. Yes, and that does sort of feel like a very Victorian literature type thing, where if there's a mad scientist type character, it's a young person who is rebelling against scientific establishment. A bit like Dr. Frankenstein. Indeed. Inspector Palmer, played by Lee Montague, is a police officer investigating a strange series of crimes and the actions of Edward Hyde, often arriving just a little bit too late to catch Hyde as he escapes. Indeed, yes. Often seen as, you know, pursuing Hyde and his actions, and assisted by his sergeant, Sergeant Hornby, played by Kevin McNally. You've probably just watched Kevin McNally as, I think it's Professor Jericho in the 13th Doctor Adventure or series, Flux. Yes, that's right. And he's the sort of typical loyal, dogged assistant, often doing the sort of rough and tumble, getting involved in the physicality of police work and chasing Hyde. And we'll mention a couple of other names in the cast. I was particularly taken by Lionel Jeffries playing Jekyll's father. I don't think Jekyll's father is a typical or is a usual role for these productions, but here he was. And I know you were interested in it's Ronald Pickup playing the lawyer Utterson here, Brian. Yes, that's right. Ronald Pickup as a British actor with a tremendous career passed away not too long ago and was working as an actor for many, many years. He was very briefly in Doctor Who in the 1960s, but in more recent things, he's probably best known from the movie The Darkest Hour, where he played Neville Chamberlain. So great actor, and Utterson is a character from the book, and it was lovely to see Ronald pick up in the role here. It was very good. Great stuff. So as Jekyll's experiments continue, the police are investigating these violent acts of this mysterious Edward Hyde, who no one seems to know exactly who he is or where he came from. 
They include the trampling of a child, which is something that was in the book, and also assaults in a brothel. So the police are pursuing this person. Yes, and I'll perhaps mention here a slight content warning note that this does this production does include the very strong implication of a sexual assault, or probably more than one sexual assault, but particularly of Hyde on the character of Sarah Crawford. Although it's not explicit, it is still quite uh, disturbing, I think, Brian. Yes, and that is very much coming from the from the book where it was clear that this is part of what Hyde was uh, was doing and as we've said we've got the police on in the trail of Edward Hyde and they seem to be getting closer to Henry Jekyll's door various bits of investigation and following the money and things like that seem to be getting them closer and closer to discovering the truth. That's right. And of course, we've also got here a romance element, which is increasing, which is the sort of relationship between Henry and Sarah, much to her father's displeasure. But, you know, they are clearly becoming closer and closer. And as we've said, he sort of relies on her to a great deal as his sort of best talking partner his confidant so there's that aspect which is something slightly or you know it is is something new and different for this version yeah i felt it did it was used to help emphasize the tragedy and the horror that jekyll was dealing with what he wanted in his life was the the romance but what he had in his life was hide yes the horror exactly so we should get into our production notes we have discussed Robert Louis Stevenson's Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1886 a few times before already. We discussed it in British Invaders 18 and 19 when we talked about Jekyll, the Stephen Moffat series. And again, when we talked about Jekyll and Hyde in 264 and 265, those were both productions that were looking at a descendant of Dr. Henry Jekyll and sort of almost sequels and taking things in a different direction. We also talked about a TV movie version called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that we covered in British Invaders 289 and 290. And that was in some ways closer to the original, but it had a very definite twist on it. So we have talked about a number of adaptations. We've talked about the novella before, but for now, we'll just mention that it was very popular and influential, coming from the Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson in 1886. Yes, I mean, it's great to go back to the source material. We'll talk about that a little bit more next time as well. Now, when we talk about this adaptation, we have to start, oddly enough, with Jack the Ripper. In 1988, the TV writer and director David Wicks did the Victorian serial killer story doing this Jack the Ripper production. And at the time, Wicks was best known for writing for TV um, police shows, police procedural shows, detective shows. And he had decided to make another police procedural, but this time about Jack the Ripper and featuring the investigations of the real-life character, Inspector Abilene, 
as the central character in his sort of whodunit version of the Jack the Ripper story. And it started out as a relatively small-scale production for ITV and their Thames television network. But it increased in scale quite dramatically when an American network got interested. Yes, once CBS was involved, there were some changes in that production and it became bigger and higher budget. And you had some big name actors being brought into it as well, including Michael Caine, who played Everline. And the plot of Jack the Ripper included some of the popular theories about the identity of the Ripper as well. And interestingly, they actually referenced the plot of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in that adaptation as a sort of explanation or a sort of rationalization for the split personality of the killer. So that was 1988, which I'm guessing is about 100 years since the Ripper killings. And of course, at that time, there was an incredible amount of interest in popular culture in Jack the Ripper. And not surprisingly, this production that David Wicks did with Michael Caine as the detective was a huge hit on both sides of the Atlantic. And so much so that Caine actually won the 1989 Golden Globe for Best Performance in a Miniseries or TV Film. So quite, you know, well-regarded production. And uh, I think Michael Caine's uh, performance was highly lauded and, and indeed awarded. So it's perhaps not too much of a surprise that then London Weekend Television part of ITV approached David Wicks and say, can we have another series, please? This time they got financial backing from not CBS, it was ABC in the States, which allowed them to again, I think, secure Michael Caine for the next production, which is the one we're talking about. Yeah, I'm sure the fact that it was Wicks in there behind it was part of what brought in Michael Caine because he had already worked with them. And Jekyll and Hyde seemed like an obvious choice for them as it would allow Michael Caine plenty of uh, room to do something interesting with two big performances as Jekyll and as Hyde. And again, David Wicks wrote and directed the telefilm. Yes, that's right. And, and then ABC, as we've said already, are involved. Yes, they are. And often what happens when you have an American company involved is they want to have an American actor, an American star even, involved in the production. And in this case, that was done with Cheryl Ladd, who was known for Charlie's Angels and became the female lead in this production. And I'm guessing that must have happened fairly early on for him to then write the character of Sarah Crawford, who, if I'm right in thinking, Brian, there's, there's no character like that in the original novella. Certainly, I would think they would have had the idea of having a woman as a sort of co-star in a fairly early and that was I guess their way of modernizing things a little bit while maintaining it as something set in the Victorian era and for the Victorian setting they mostly filmed like they had for Jack the Ripper at Pinewood Studios I was trying to work out the locations for the external shooting I think they did some of it night shoots in London in various alleyways that they managed to dress to look like Victorian England I don't know the rest of the locations there might be some Edinburgh in there as well from the look of it I don't think they took the production abroad because obviously now 
Victorian productions often go somewhere like Prague or somewhere like that in Europe. But anyway, Pinewood Studios and some London shooting, heavily dressed up to make it look like Victorian England. And of course, you've got to have a transformation from Jekyll to Hyde. And at some point, you've got to put that transformation on screen. And so we do get that sequence in this production Michael Caine wears a fair bit of makeup and prosthetics as Edward Hyde, and the change sequence is filmed with, I think, what's fairly commonplace practical effects for the time, Brian. Quite a lot of what we would call bladder work, or what is referred to as bladder work. These are little inflatable bladders underneath latex that make the facial features swell and pop and so on. It's it's a very 1980s makeup effect, I think. It is, but it was done so it was quite dramatic. They clearly put a lot of effort into that and into the music and the way it was shot and so on and came up with a pretty dramatic-looking transformation, I think. Indeed, yes. Jekyll and Hyde was broadcast on ITV on January 6th, 1990. And then on ABC on January 21st, 1990. And if I'm right, Brian, am I right in thinking that your parents remembered watching this when it came out? I actually remember watching this when it came out. I did watch it at the time in 1990, and I remember enjoying it at the time. And it it did very well, I think. Again, it was well-reviewed. Most critics were praising Kane's performance in the two roles. And again, he's nominated uh, for both a Golden Globe and this time for an Emmy for his uh, performance here, although sadly didn't win any either of those this time. But yes, a well-regarded production and certainly a well-regarded performance by Michael Kane. Yes, absolutely. So we should talk about the availability for this one. So strangely in Region 2, it's that situation where we put something on our list and then by the time we get to cover it, the DVD seems to have been deleted and gone out of print. The best option I can find now locally is a French version of the DVD, which you can get for £15 here, which you will be able to play on a UK player and you can navigate the menus to get rid of the uh, the French dub-in and get the English version. That seems to work successfully. And again, I've been looking everywhere for it on streaming. I would expect it to be on BritBox, but it's not there. And I cannot find it on any of the UK streamers at the moment. But if you can find it, please let me know. Over here in Region 1, there has not been a DVD or VHS version of it in print for quite some time. But it is available for streaming on Amazon Prime for $4. It's not part of the Prime subscription, but you can buy it as a stream on Amazon for $4 in the US. And it is also available in BritBox. So I was able to watch it on BritBox in in Canada. Inexplicable to me why it's not on BritBox UK, but there you go. These are the vagaries of streaming and rights, I guess. Yeah, sometimes the right situations are very complicated. And typically BritBox in the UK has a lot more on it and a lot more interesting things that aren't available here in North America. But there are a few things that are the other way around and this is one of them 
the book is, of course, widely available. It's in the public domain, and it is in print and easy to find. Okay, so interesting that it is much easier to watch in Region 1 than Region 2, a reversal of our usual situation. Yeah, it happens just occasionally. So next time, we will talk about some of the differences between this version of Jekyll and Hyde and other versions. We're going to talk a little bit about the central problem of the two roles and get round that. And, of course, we'll get to our own reviews and recommendations of this telefilm and whether or not you should track down a copy or stream it in North America. Absolutely. Until then, you can find all of our episodes, including our previous Jekylls and their corresponding hides, at BritishInvaders.com. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group and join the discussions there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Brit Invaders Pod. And feel free to tweet at us there. Yes, do please come by the Twitter. And also come by the Voice of Geeks Network, where you'll find British Invaders as one of several geek-related enterprises there, including a variety of game-related streams and so on. Come to vognetwork.com. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. This is Brian from Canada, signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, Eamon in England also signing off.